0: It's time for Dodger Baseball. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry. There it goes. See ya.
1: The sports department at WFUV and the history behind it are a story largely untold. That is, until now. The voices that have shaped the student-run station for the last seven decades dive into their time at Rose Hill. This is the Off The Air Podcast, the legacy of WFUV Sports. Welcome to the first episode of the Off The Air Podcast, the legacy of WFUV Sports, alongside Jackson Heil. Emmanuel Barbari with you. Jackson, quite an introduction, written, voiced by Nick DeLuca. Got me fired up to start this. Yeah,
2: I mean, Nick did a terrific job with that. I mean, how can you also not mention the Mount Rushmore of characters involved with that? Vince Scully, Mike Breen, Michael Kaye. Uh, pretty much says it all about WFUV sports. The history is rich in tradition and rich with talent as well and uh, can't wait to get started with this podcast and talk to some of the all-time greats that have gone through this radio station.
1: Excited to get this going. The Origin, of course, Evan Janikin put together a terrific documentary last year that encapsulated the program, what it means. It's standing in sports broadcasting not only in the New York market but overall and some of the Great, like you said, voices and talent that have come through the same halls at Rose Hill. And while he was able to get to a lot of prominent voices, some are behind the scenes, some you don't hear from every day, and some just weren't able to be fit into 18 minutes. So we're looking to uncover those voices even further, dive deeper into their stories, and I think no better way to start it today than with a guy like Dan Duva Jackson.
2: Yeah, Dan's been one of the um, premier guys that I've met at WFUV since I've been here, and he's been a mentor to me since I've gotten here, myself wanting to get into hockey play-by-play. I mean, there's very few better in the business than Dan, and also just genuinely one of the nicest people there is in this business who's always willing to give back. And obviously, a rich history with him, I know he's young, but I mean, one of Very few people to go to both Newhouse, which is obviously a terrific program up at Syracuse, and WFUV, too. So he's just one of the best guys in the business, one of the up-and-coming talents in this business, and he's certainly
1: been an inspiration to me, and I'm sure for you as well. For sure. Uh, The impact Dan has on the industry and also forming a breeding ground for sports broadcasters in the Cape Cod Baseball League as well, something that's impacted me and so many others and you'll just know from this interview coming up what a great storyteller he truly is and how great he is to be around. So we're excited to kick it off with Dan, but I think it also goes to show some of the names he's going to share, some of the stories he's going to tell. The legacy of FUV has a lot of great stretches, great bunches. He was in school at the same time as guys like Ryan Rucco and Justin Shackle, just to name a few. But You heard in the intro, Mike Breen and Michael K. they went to school together. Bob Papa was a few years after them. Chris Carino came a decade later. So there are some really good stretches of success, stretches of excellence that FUV has to offer, and that continues to this day. So I think that's one of the reasons it's really one of the best kept secrets in the business is what a frequent rate of success it has and, and kind of how it spans the entire industry. And
2: also for some of those who aren't aware of some of the the behind-the-scenes guys that he'll mention, too. I mean, Mike Nastry being one of them who does great stuff at CBS Sports. And he was one of the guys that came up in that interview. And you just—you don't know so many of these guys because there's just so many of them. It's impossible to know all of them. And whether it's guys on the air who he's mentioned, and he does mention a ton of them as well— or guys who are behind the scenes who do a terrific job in this business. I mean, there are just so many of them that have gone through WFUV and even the ones who haven't gone through WFUV that have had an influence on those who have come to WFUV sports, Doc Emmerich being one of them and one of his role models, one of my role models as well, who is not an FUV sports alum, but a guy who has had a terrific relationship with Bob Ahrens and a terrific relationship with the radio station as well and has impacted so many of the students that have gone through there. So it just goes to show you how many guys out there that even if they may not have gone to WFUV, they've had such an impact on it and they've been influenced by it as well because WFUV sports really, truly is one of the best places to be in this business.
1: And you mentioned Bob Aaron's. There's going to be a familiar formula with a lot of these interviews where Bob's name is mentioned a lot, Marty Glickman's name is mentioned a whole heck of a lot. In addition, you can go all the way back to the father figure of WFUV sports, the first major voice to come out of the radio station and the most prominent voice ever in baseball broadcasting, Mm -hmm. Vince Scully. So I think to tie everything full circle, you're going to hear a lot of those names from these guests. And for good reason, Bob Arons, Marty Glickman, Vince Scully, they're the reason why the relationship is so strong with not only FUV alumni, but Jackson also just industry wide with workshop guests and people who are willing to give back to the program. I think that's what separates FUV as a whole
2: certainly does and I don't really think I could put it any better myself, but just the relationships that have been formed from the students to current alums right now, and obviously the students themselves have great relationships and I think that was one of the things that Dan really touches on in the interview we had with him. But I mean, the alumni network and their willingness to give back to the students has been probably the most noticeable thing that I have taken part in since I've been at WFUV Sports. I mean, they're always willing to come back. We have so many workshops each and every year, which are so important too, because that's part of the reason you form these relationships. And also it allows you to just get a read on what it's like to be in this business. And also they give you some good, really good insight on some of your work that you do as well. So um, I'm really excited for this series just to also catch up with some of these people that we've had the opportunity and pleasure to meet and also kind of to bring this documentary to even more life because Evan did such a great job with it in the first place. And like you said, 17, 18 minutes just really isn't enough to talk about the legacy that WFV sports leaves.
1: So we're hoping to make this a long form type format to uncover some of those stories more in depth. And that's why... The name originates off the air, the legacy of WFUV sports. Without further ado, our first guest, Dan Duva. Joining us on the first edition of the Off the Air podcast is a Fordham alum, WFUV alum, class of 2009, and the radio voice of the Vegas Golden Knights, Dan Duva. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time today. It's my pleasure, Emmanuel
0: and Jackson. Good to be with you guys. How are you?
1: Doing pretty well. That's where we were going to start. How's this quarantine and this entire pandemic treating you specifically?
0: Well, it's uh, it's hard to wrap your mind around the whole thing. Um, when it started, you had no idea how long it would last. And now that it's been a few months, uh, we start to get antsy about when things might get closer to normal. And at least there is some future to look forward to as it relates to the National Hockey League that they've got. Um, phases to implement and uh, return to play scenario. I was more excited for that Gary Bettman press conference than probably every other Gary Bettman press conference I've ever heard. But uh, I I was um, really surprised at myself at how excited I was. I felt the juices flowing. I had to break out my my notes and my my colored markers and start to get ready for some hockey. But I think that uh, in filling the time here, we, we all look for different ways of Um, how to keep ourselves busy, how we can make ourselves better. Um, And that might be professionally, it might be personally. And uh, I have now five times successfully baked chocolate chip banana bread. Wow. That's right. Wow is the appropriate
2: (laughs) reaction. Thank you. I wish I could say the same for myself.
1: (laughs) And Dan, on the professional front, what are some of those ways you've been trying to to get better during this time?
0: Well, you know, I I think that um, I knew that, Going back into the archives would be helpful um, in two ways with the Golden Knights. They um, had um, interest in re-airing old broadcasts, (laughs) old broadcasts, all of three seasons worth of games. But um, whereas our TV folks thought they'd just kind of go back over the last three years and pick some of the more memorable games. Remember that the TV folks um, with the the Golden Knights TV station, which is AT&T Sportsnet, they don't have the playoff games like we have on the radio. So... um, I decided on the radio the best course would be chronological. Start the beginning of the franchise October 2017 and remember that they, they won all those games in October, the first three and the home opener and just an incredible month of October. And then you know, right through December, they were the best team in hockey. They beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. So to go through some of those games, um, and then into the spring and the run to the Stanley Cup final um, right now, uh, as the those radio replays continue, the Golden Knights have just swept the Los Angeles Kings and they're ready to take on the Sharks in the second round. So it's been fun to to go back and, and I have personally cut up those games and um, and putting them together, getting them ready for re-air to insert new commercials and rejoins and that sort of stuff so in the process of going back through the original raw recordings i've uh, had the occasion to hear some things i didn't remember and then to relive some of the stuff that i wanted to hear again and as a broadcaster who's constantly trying to improve you cringe oh my! how did i say that what we, uh, why did you not do this you you could have taken the conversation in that direction why didn't you tell this story um, you know, that's, you, you didn't really capture the spirit of the thing. You weren't descriptive enough there. How come you're not giving me the score more often? So all of those things happen when you're listening to tapes uh, on a regular basis. But then normally you kind of, okay, well, I'll, I'll get back into form my next broadcast. Well, there is no next broadcast <laughs> right now. It's been a few months of just listening to these old games without too much opportunity to get back in the flow of it. But there are occasions where I think, yeah, that, that sounded okay. That was pretty good. Um, So there's that. And then, you know, deeper into it, I I have these VHS tapes from when I was in high school in Ridgewood, New Jersey, broadcasting football, hockey, lacrosse, et cetera. And uh, somebody's got to digitize these tapes so they're not lost to history. Uh, So that has been fun to dig back into those archives. And that is truly cringeworthy. It's almost (laughs) like watching a different person, um, you know, on the screen. More hair that that person had, though. So I don't mind that. (laughs) Uh, But I I think that's been fun. And aside from broadcasting, you know, um, you know, I enjoy reading, um, even if it's not directly related to sports broadcasting or even sports. I think that there's a lot we can learn from history. And I love autobiographies and um, you name it. uh, There's there there aren't too many books where I'm going to say, no, I don't want to read that if it's a nonfiction book and documentaries too. anything. Ken Burns does fantastic. Um, I've enjoyed listening to podcasts that I have enjoyed, but getting to listen to them more frequently. So there's a lot of stuff. Um, and I write to, I, I, I try to keep in touch with people and it's phone calls or zoom chats or emails, whatever it might be. So there's always something to keep me busy. Uh, I think that I could probably do a better job of sticking to a schedule though. That's, <laughs> that's part of, it. they've reopened my gym too.
2: So that's been nice. Well, Dan, I mean, now almost two and a half, a little more than two and a half years into your Vegas Golden Knights career in terms, of, in terms of broadcasting. I mean, you've been through some pretty crazy moments. I mean, obviously you mentioned the cup run. You think of last year, probably the craziest game of the entire NHL season was game seven of that first round between Vegas and San Jose. But I mean, probably the craziest moment for you maybe has to be the day you find out the season stops due to a global pandemic. Take us through that experience and what's going through your head at that point.
0: Right. Well, it was uh, was mid-March, and uh, the Golden Knights were in the midst of five consecutive road games. And it started with the Knights playing in, um, let's see, Winnipeg, Calgary, and Edmonton. And oddly, we came back to Las Vegas for a couple of days in the middle of this five-game trek. So we played those three games in those three cities. Then we came back to Vegas, and then we're flying back out onto the road with St. Paul, Minnesota as the next destination uh... and as we took off for st paul and and i forget the exact date i guess it was the tenth of march we landed in st paul and i had uh... coincidentally a podcast recording with sean aronson scheduled for that evening at the team hotel and as soon as that recording concluded I was walking to a restaurant for dinner to meet up with some folks, and I looked at my phone and uh, saw some of the the college basketball news that was coming out, the Rudy Gobert news that was coming out, and in this uh, very short walk from the hotel to the restaurant, the avalanche of news hit me that, boy, this is going to impact how the NHL goes forward. And the rest of that evening was communicating with uh, my colleagues with the Golden Knights and um, hockey folks, media folks, players. And ultimately, the question that we posed to um, some of our high-placed connections was, do we have a green light, (laughs) as we said at the hotel bar? Um, And the answer was yes, because it seemed all too likely that the NHL would be paused. When we woke up in the morning, we got the news that there would be no morning skates, no team meetings, and that was just uh, the preliminary um, announcement, which we knew would then become... No games tonight and Gary Bettman had a call at 1 o'clock Eastern time. We were in Saint Paul, so 12 noon central time Um, and that call was held not so much to poll the owners, but just to make sure that everybody was on board with the plan the commissioner had laid out as he made the rounds on the on the phone calls. And I can only imagine the work that the commissioner's office did in the hours leading up to that call, but there was uh, there was consent. There was no dissent and the NHL was paused and that's where we have been since. Uh, That that call happens, Uh, we hear the news shortly thereafter. There was an announcement um, from the Golden Knights internally, but there was by that point media reports. And then we had to arrange to get our charter flight back to Las Vegas, which took several hours. So I walked over to a coffee shop, got a nice cup of coffee and a sandwich and walked across the street to subtext books, got a few paperbacks. I figured I would need something to uh, keep me busy. And uh, now I just wish I had purchased more books.
1: (laughs) Speaking of craziness, pandemics, how did WFUV not only uh, shape your career to the extent of preparing you for a job in the NHL, but also all the unexpected things that can come with a job in sports broadcasting?
0: Yeah, well, I think what's great about WFUV as a station, as the students involved with the overall production of what listeners here on the air, it's not strictly a sports station. You're surrounded by people who are involved in news, people who are involved in music, people who are involved in the community. There are so many connections within WFUV to the university, but so many connections outside the university. That, I think, um, really helps you feel like you're uh, at a radio station in New York City, immersed in it all not just um you know in an isolated student radio station that's sort of a bubble. That's not the case at WFUV. That's a real world experience. But as a student, um you might not appreciate that as you're living through it. I think more in retrospect you recognize, wow, this is not just a, a great place to learn how to be a broadcaster, but this is New York City. And we're on the air. I mean <laughs> you could be scrolling down the dial and come across ninety point seven FM and and there we are. So I think that that, in retrospect, has, has been um, really valuable to me, all the things that you'll learn that you didn't realize you were learning. Mm, I would say a good deal of the learning is active, too, between the, the, the broadcast coaches that we've had, Bob Aaron's, of course, um, you know the legacy of Marty Glickman that is uh, felt through so many in sports broadcasting, and that is manifest in the workshops. The people who come from all sports media backgrounds that speak with the students I have here, Um, in fact, it's, I I made sure that I would have easy access to it. I've got my binder. This is filled with all kinds of notes uh, from uh, WFUV workshop guests, not all of it. I mean, there's a lot more (laughs) stuff in there that is, um, you know, comments on my own broadcast or feedback I've gotten from others and emails and things that I've printed out, articles about sports broadcasting, but a good chunk of what's in that binder uh, came from the uh, the WFUV workshops when it's, you know, Mike Breen or Bob Costas or whomever it might be that comes to chat with the the staff there. I just soaked all of that up. Um, I uh, then, you know, kind of wonder, well, if I was taking advantage of it in that way, I hope that everybody else is too. I think that sometimes we have a tendency to just sit back and be consumers like we're watching a show on TV when in fact um, as aspiring journalists uh, and i include myself in that as an aspiring journalist we're always trying to get better and we want to soak in all this knowledge because somebody else might have this uh, great approach this great mindset and you might not copy it exactly but you might take a little bit of something that makes you a better journalist and a better broadcaster and again being around all of those great people at wfuv sports broadcasting um, the the uh, the workshops the the people at WFUV but the the last category that comes to me of course your fellow students uh, the people that you're working with so much of what you learn is um, through the act of doing it's not just about reading a book or listening to the people around you that's very important but um, you've got to do it you know you don't learn to play the piano by watching somebody else do it you don't learn how to ride a horse by reading about it in a book you've got to get your your fingers on the keyboard. You got to hop on the horse. And as a broadcaster, you've got to get on the air. So um, I think that that uh, experience with so many great people who are friends of mine as students, I think that you know, the way you challenge each other and you learn from each other, I think that's what stands out the most.
2: Dan, you mentioned the workshops, and it seems like every time I've talked with you or, or even read about you on the internet, Doc Emmerich is always, is always someone that comes up for you as a mentor, as someone that helped guide you to where you are today. Um, take us through how you were able to meet him, obviously at a workshop at WFUV, which you've mentioned to us, and take us through that relationship with him. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, first of all, there, there's not a better man in broadcasting than Mike Emmerich. He's an incredible broadcaster, but he's a better person than he is a broadcaster, and I think that tells you everything you need to know. Um, I have learned more about life um, that I have about hockey broadcasting from Mike Emmerich, Um, just by the way he carries himself and the way he treats other people. I first met Mike Emmerich when I was in high school as um, an aspiring broadcaster. I'd I'd take a a mini, uh, no, a micro cassette tape recorder and sit in the the upper levels of the Meadowlands and, you know, print out a roster and, and try to call a devil's senators game. And I still have a couple of those tapes and boy, they are They're rough, (laughs) but uh, I I remember Doc said, always hold on to your first tape, so I still got them, Uh, and we would pester Mike Emmerich and Chico Resch, but also Mike Miller and Randy Velashek who were the devil's radio announcers, and at the Meadowlands, the radio folks were on the upper level, uh, on the last row of the lower level. And the TV folks were in the lower lip of the upper level, so you couldn't see the radio and the TV folks at the same time. So I can remember my buddy Guy Benson; he and I would kind of station ourselves between the two locations to see who was off the air, who could we bother right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's that's that was the first introduction, and um, you know we were a couple of many Devils fans that wanted to talk to the broadcasters, but I think that there was a certain recognition there because we were trying to become play-by-play announcers and that uh, continued and um, you know you pass along a tape and exchange uh, some emails and get some feedback and then uh, what you're talking about Jackson is there was a particular workshop at WFUV and Doc came up and uh, the workshop itself was I'm sure very useful to a lot of people but uh, in particular I remember walking with Doc from Keating Hall where the workshop was held to the Metro North Station Uh, Doc, I I guess, was trying to figure out how he was going to get back to Madison Square Garden or wherever he was going. And I figured, hey, you know, I mean, I I had a little bit of a relationship prior to that. So it seemed appropriate that I could kind of steer him in the right direction. And I'm not sure exactly what questions I asked Doc in that 10 minute walk. But I I guess there was something in there that piqued his interest to the point where he uh, he recognized uh, I wasn't just doing this as a hobby that I was expecting to pursue this as a career. And um, then we continued to, to see each other. I was covering the Devils for WFUV. So I was, um, I was at the Rock, um, you know, when they, uh, I, was, I was inside the Prudential Center when they opened the doors on opening night. So that was pretty neat uh, to cover the, the Devils for, for WFUV. And then you get to know Doc and the other people with the Devils and um, with the media, And then, as it turned out, um, my first full-time job was with the Devils organization in the ECHL, the Trenton Devils. And uh, by that point, you know, Doc and I were, uh, you know, I I didn't have, uh, it wasn't strange to send him an email. (laughs) But the one email I did send uh, was to let him know I had an interview for that job in Trenton, and he called me right after he received the email and gave me a little bit of a pep talk and, and let me know what it was I needed to go into that interview with and it worked out. So now all of a sudden Doc and I were sort of colleagues. Um, I was working for the Devils organization, and I'd go up to Newark and spread the word of the Trenton Devils with the folks who are covering covering the New Jersey Devils, and uh, they started doing a Trenton Devils segment on the TV broadcast. So here's Doc talking about the players that I had been telling stories about, and I think that that, uh, that resonated with Doc too, and then it's Gone on from there to the Syracuse Crunch in the American League, and now here the Vegas Golden Knights, and um, you know that—that's uh, the Reader's Digest version, I suppose. And and Doc's just been a great person to learn from, a great friend, and uh, I'm. I'm blessed to recognize uh, him as a friend, but um, many others too in this business. And uh, I I could start rattling off the names. (laughs) I'm sort of self-conscious about that because uh, so many people have been that good to me and I wouldn't want to leave anybody out. But um, it's good of you to ask about Doc because he is so important to so many.
1: Jumping back to what you said about the fellow students and them making FUV what it is, who were some of those key characters when you were in your formative days at Fordham that pushed you to achieve your best?
0: Wow. <laughs> well, the, you know, what's interesting about that, Emmanuel, is that a number of people who came through WFUV while I was there did not necessarily have the ambition to be play by play announcers. Um, some were behind the scenes, some were producers, some were color commentators some were talk show hosts, um, and, and of course, some were play-by-play announcers. Um, But I think that uh, I I love the experience of everybody supporting each other, Um, and it wasn't just about a a singular game or a singular event. Um, There was constantly involved, uh, there was constant involvement um, from everybody who, um, who was part of WFUV. So, I mean, I, I think about people, of course, like Ryan Rucco, who a lot of folks know in, in the New York area and now across the country because of all the work that he's done. But uh, Bobby Coyle, of course, who is a student manager, and Lou Baricelli. And, you know, um, yeah, Alex Middlesworth was a, a great guy behind the scenes. Um, you know, Dan Murphy and I did a lot of games together uh, Mike Nastry, I I could go on and on with, uh, you know, the people who were there, Tim Bassett's another one. I I feel terrible because I'm going to forget people. I'm just, I'm thinking back to different, uh, you know, road trips or different games. And, um, sadly, like you, you, you have photographs that pop into your mind, the photographs sort of replace some of the actual memories. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, but there were just so many people that, uh, You know you spent time with and of course a lot of it is working together you're in a studio you're you're courtside you're in a press box but so much of it is is also just you know the you know the airplane rides or the bus rides or sitting at a hotel or you know having dinner on the road or hanging out at somebody's apartment you know all of those things um, you know that those are the memories that are as meaningful to me as as anything and uh, you know, just as I sit here, I, I, I'm thinking about which memories would be acceptable to recount on the air, and which ones I should stay away from, uh, because we did have a good time. And uh, I, I just uh, owe a debt to the the people at WFUV who uh, were so good to me, and and who did challenge me. Uh, there's a there's a long list, you know, um, of then you know people who had uh, been a year or two ahead of me, or people who were a year or two younger than me, and that sort of a thing. And that's uh, you know, that's what's neat to see how the, the legacy is passed along from those who had come before to those who've come after. And, of course, right here to you guys.
2: Dan, hockey is one of those sports where it's really something I feel like you have to be passionate about to pursue it just because of the difference it in terms of the pace and just the overall how different the game is it is to football, basketball, and baseball. And at FUV, I mean, there are obviously so many legends of play-by-play broadcasting and other sports. When it comes to hockey, there really haven't been that many hockey play-by-play guys that go through. And I know people like myself and other guys who are pursuing that, when you think of FUV and hockey and play-by-play, really most people think of you. So when you think about that, and obviously you're very young and you have a long career ahead of you, what do those Jackson, words mean? I appreciate
0: mean? that observation. Good job. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: uh, yeah. Um, you know, that that's very kind of you. When when you say WFUV and, and you say hockey, I mean, I, I think of a couple people. I mean, John Genome, um mm-hmm. is probably the first one, but another guy that's um, extraordinarily um, impactful to me was Phil Jubileo. And Phil was a longtime broadcaster for the Bridgeport Sound Tigers in the American Hockey League. And of course, a Fordham and WFUV alum, he was there when Marty Glickman was there and learned directly from Marty. And I think that not only did did Phil learn about the craft of play-by-play because he's a superb broadcaster, um, he also embraced the mentality that we just talked about, paying it forward. So when I was at WFUV and Phil was in Bridgeport, he would um, invite me to go out there and I could uh, see how he was doing his thing and I could sit in the in in um, what i think was webster bank arena at the time um the arena at harbor yard there in bridgeport and um and do practice tapes because uh, fordham of course didn't have its own hockey team and uh you know when i was covering devil's games for wfuv you've got to cover the game you can't just sit there with a tape recorder that might not go over well so uh, where was a place that i could um get a feel for the professional game that I could have access, and that place was, was Bridgeport, and it was very much thanks to Phil. And though I had done hockey play-by-play in high school, and when I was a student at Syracuse, we covered the Syracuse Stars Junior Hockey, and uh, I had done quite a bit of hockey, but I had never attempted to really do, um, you know, minor league hockey before, professional minor league hockey until then. And I believe that the tape that I sent to the Trenton Devils, to the New Jersey Devils, Uh, for that job application was a demo tape from a Bridgeport Sound Tigers game. I think it was Hershey against Bridgeport, um, and uh, I'm sure I have it someplace. So um, while maybe Phil doesn't have uh, the name recognition of of some of the other great WFUV alums, that does not in any way diminish his value to the legacy of WFUV. Um, You know, he's been uh, just, uh, was especially at those times very helpful in not only giving me the opportunity, but then giving me feedback. And um, then, you know, it was neat to see him when I was in the American league and um, Syracuse crunch would play the Bridgeport sound tigers. That was pretty cool. Um, And, and, you know, I, I think it just goes to show Jackson. I thought myself more of a baseball person having played baseball in high school. And, and, and by the way, playing baseball in high school, that might be a generous description. (laughs) (laughs) I was on the team. Um, you know, I was I was a very very average player on a very good high school baseball team. But I my dad had played baseball in college. I had covered the Cape Cod Baseball League, and had done Ford in baseball. And so I, I figured baseball. I had a lot of connections there. Maybe that would be my path. Maybe in the college game. Maybe in the minor leagues. But <laughs> I didn't think that hockey was necessarily going to be it, but. Um, I have loved hockey for a long time, and um, the advice to me uh, at an early age was to just get involved in a bunch of different sports. So while I loved hockey, I wanted to broadcast hockey games, um, and to me it was uh, just as much um, a challenge as any other sport. It is a faster game. It is different than the other sports as you described, but I take each sport as its own kind of unique challenge. And uh, now they just keep offering me hockey jobs, so I keep taking them.
1: You were also one of the few to go to Syracuse, then come to Fordham. One of the few. You may be the only prominent FUV alum to have (laughs) gone through that trajectory. How do you feel it benefited you to get the experience from both of the nation's preeminent broadcasting schools?
0: Well, um, it is something I have often thought about because I can't imagine it any other way. Um, And it's great for me to, to have a connection to two great universities with so much history in sports broadcasting and with so many alumni involved in this field. And we've mentioned Marty Glickman a couple of times, but of course he is the the origination of the sports broadcasting culture in a lot of ways at both schools. He's not the only guy, of course, but you know, Marty went to Syracuse and was, um, on the football team, on the track team, 1936 Olympics. And because Marty went to Syracuse, Marv Albert went to Syracuse and on and on and on. Well, of course, Marty then being in New York city and wanting to give back was working with sports announcers professionally at WFUV was an obvious place that Marty could be involved with. And, um, and people knew that, too. I think that, that's what I've, I've realized in more recent years. You know, I just heard Marv Albert recently talking about he knew that Marty was going to work with the students at WFUV. <laughs> look what's happened. So uh, I think that there is a legitimacy there that, that Marty has provided. Um, and then, of course, right through Bob Ahrens and, and the many people who have given back to WFUV. So I think that um, I, I feel spoiled in a lot of ways to have um, the great... Um, education from both schools to have the, uh, the quote unquote network of alumni from both schools. Um, I, I'm not sure that I would prescribe my path to, uh, someone graduating from high school, but I wouldn't change my path. Um, if I could do it over again, I'd do it the same way because again, because of the experiences, because of what I've learned, um, you know, and, and, and I would also recognize that you think you know where you stand, but that might just be in a bubble. I thought I knew, okay, when I was in high school, all right, I know where I stand. This is what I'm going to do. I was working for the S yes Network. I was, you know, rubbing shoulders with Ian Eagle and Chris Carino and Mike Breen and Marv Albert. And it, like, okay, I, I'm, on, I'm 17, 18 years old. I, I'm good. Go to Syracuse. You figure out, you know, how you fit in there. You kind of, you know, I don't want to say... Uh, master that scenario. That's not right. But you you feel like you've got a, a footing. You know where you stand. Uh, the Cape Cod Baseball League, same thing. You know, I was uh, just was an incredible experience for me there. And that gives you a sense of where do you stand. But it's different than Syracuse. It's different than the S yes Network. It's different than high school. And same to be said for Fordham and WFUV. And I think that from Fordham, there's a, a direct, uh, tangible connection to what I would do next. And that was hockey, covering the Devils, Um, as I mentioned, the Bridgeport Sound Tigers and Phil Jubileo, all of that led directly to um, having the job with the Devils, and that has been my path. But, um, you know, uh, (laughs) somebody said, you know, like, you you have your name on the wall at both schools, and um, there aren't too many people that can uh, get to go to Fordham or to Syracuse, and I could go on and on and Uh, You know, (laughs) if there's a a book in the offing one day in the distant future, that'll be a chapter in it for sure, um, because I'm very proud of of both of those places. So I got a section of the closet that's dedicated to orange and another section of the closet that's dedicated to maroon.
2: Well, Dan, obviously, it's been a pleasure to get to know you as well. And you have mentioned so many mentors, obviously, during your time at FuV and during your time at Syracuse as well. Um, we talked about Doc Emmerich already being one of them, but when you were younger, who were those guys that you really looked up to and got you interested in broadcasting?
0: Yeah. Marv Albert was really the first one. Um, when you're, and I was born in 85, right? Oh boy. (laughs) Um, you know, but I, I think that the, the point is that, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really know the announcer's names necessarily. There was no internet. You couldn't look people up. Um, You know, I probably didn't. I I remember listening to Mike Francesa and Chris Russo on the radio all the time, but probably didn't know what they actually (laughs) looked like until like the early 2000s. There was no TV broadcast. They weren't putting their pictures in the newspaper. You know, so you you really did have that theater of the mind and broadcasters had this almost magical presence in your life. And then uh, as you grow older and you recognize that there are. Uh, real people <laughs> on the air, um, the real people that are doing these jobs. You get to know who they are and who, what their paths were. But Marv Albert was the first because he was everywhere. You know, he was doing the Rangers on the radio, the Knicks on TV, the NBA. You know, I just had someone ask me to transfer a VHS tape. It was Marv Albert doing the, the Pazienza fight in 1991, I think it was. Like, you know, Marv was everywhere. You know, he was, he was the voice of everything. He was on the local news doing the sports. Um, You know, Mike Emmerich doing hockey, of course, Gary Cohen and Bob Murphy on the Mets radio broadcast, Michael Kay and John Sterling on the Yankees radio. Um, But you could go on and on. Like, Marty Glickman was still doing the Jets when I was a little kid, and my family's had Jets tickets for a long time. So when I was a little kid, you know, I think Marty's last year was 92, so I I couldn't say that I definitively remember thinking, oh, well, Marty's the best ever. I probably didn't have that conscious thought, Mm -hmm. but... I certainly listened to the Jets on the radio. I remember we turned down the sound on TV so that we could listen to the radio. Going to Jets games in person as a little kid. In the parking lot, you'd turn down the rate, you'd, you'd, you'd turn up the radio so you could listen to the pregame show and the postgame show. So uh, like all of those things, we we're just spoiled being in, in uh, the New York area with all the great announcers. Um, but I think that the, the one guy who I got to know well. Uh, while I was in high school, I mentioned Mike Emmerich, but Ian Eagle was the other guy. And um, I had uh, interacted with Ian with uh, with emails or texting or whatever it was <laughs> back in the early 2000s. And, um, and I was working for the S yes Network as a runner. So I was seeing Ian on a regular basis during my senior year of high school. And I remember him saying to me when we were talking about what schools to go to and, uh, he had gone to Syracuse, and I'd wanted to go to Syracuse, and he, uh, he said, it's not necessarily about where you go to school, it's what you put into the experience that makes it worthwhile." And that had a big effect on me. while, well, I was still in high school and broadcasting sports, but what I would do, um, you know, in, in college, Syracuse and Fordham and the Cape Cod League, and then professionally. So I got to, to um, really admire Ian um, not only on a professional basis, watching his work on TV and listening on the radio. Because uh, I always had followed. Him. you know, I knew who he was, of course. but um, you know, he it was also that personal connection um, that made me want to follow his path uh, in 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 a certain way. and then to recognize that there was no singular best path that uh, you kind of needed to chart one for yourself. And so maybe that's partly why i <laughs> I split the difference between Syracuse and Fordham, because I, I didn't want to follow any one person's path. Uh, I I wanted to make sure that my experience was my own, but I learned that particular lesson from Ian.
1: Now that you've had some time to jog your memory during this interview, are there a (laughs) couple of FQV road trip stories that really resonate as some of your favorite memories at Fordham?
0: Yeah, well, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, yes, probably. You know, I, I thought it was neat. You know, just the the one year like Ford and baseball had made it to the A10 tournament in Springfield, and um, we had not traveled for WfuV baseball broadcast before. But this was something that new. The team was good, and um, I remember Scott Kwiatkowski being so helpful in, in making that happen. And you know, I knew a couple of guys who played on the team. That was that was cool to go on the road for that. Um, you know, there was a women's basketball trip to New Orleans. <laughs> uh, that was an experience. And, uh, you know, but but just, you know, like to figure out, just walking, say, down Bourbon Street, and find a, trying to find some place to eat. And there was a restaurant that we we walked into, and they were ready to close. And the waiter, whose name was Carlos, could tell that we uh, we were not locals, that we had no idea what we were doing. And even though they were about to close up, he said you guys sit over here and I'll see what we have in the kitchen. And without handing us menus, he just started to bring stuff out to us. And uh, we <laughs> oh, were man. eating it before he would tell us what it was. <laughs> uh, you know, and that that was great. Um, you know, I, I, I remember being in St. Louis for my birthday one year for a basketball broadcast. And, um, you know, we had flown out early in the morning. Dan Murphy was doing the color with me on that trip. And you know, he had called up his dad and say, where should we go to eat for Dan's birthday tomorrow? He said, well, there's this great restaurant. Um, I don't remember where it is, but it's called Tony's. And then I called my dad, whose name is Tony, and <laughs> said, Dad, where should we go to eat for my birthday? He says, well, there's this great restaurant. I don't remember what it's called, but it's right <laughs> near the arch." You know, they were talking about the same place. And so we went there for dinner and, um, you know, on and on and on. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting so many um, moments that it's I I, I hope I wrote some of this down because it's uh, very much a blur. But, you know, just the feeling of being courtside at at the Rose Hill gym is is special. Um, You know, when you're, you know, on uh, on a team flight or a team bus and you're just around everybody that's kind of all pulling in the same direction. Um, you know, th- those were, those are some pretty neat things where we could be proud. You, you know, you, you, got to spend time with the people that you were working with and you could be proud of the work you were doing and celebrate that pride with your, with your coworkers, with your classmates. Um, so, uh, I, I'm having a number of uh, moments flash before my mind. It's a very good question, Emmanuel. I might have to sit down and write some of these things out, but I might have to change some of the names.
2: <laughs> uh, Dan, before we wrap up, um. Obviously, there are so many students now and that want to do this and want to be a part of this profession. And I think that's one of the big things that has changed over the years when it comes to broadcasting is that so many more people want to be a part of it. Uh, what, what would be your biggest advice to kids that are pursuing this at a very young age and college students who are preparing for their next step in this path?
0: That's an excellent question, Jackson. i, I sure that you're right, that there are more people who want to do this now than ever because it seems more accessible. The technology is there where um, anyone can start his or her own podcast. You can use your your portable recording device, your cell phone, as a way to broadcast. Um, That was not a thing when I was um, starting into this. I, I got into this because I loved sports and I loved telling stories. And as uh, both of you know, I I, I can't shut up. It goes with the business until the producer says it's time for a break. So (laughs) that's right. So I I I, and I think that that we should um, that people getting into this should recognize why is it that you are getting into this business? Is it because you're looking for fame? You're looking for money? You're looking for glory? Is it about you and your brand? I, I I have a hard time with those things. That's not me, and I don't think that's what this profession is about. Um, we happen to be sports broadcasters who do, you know, in my case, a lot of play-by-play, and there is an entertainment factor to that. But there is, at its heart, a reporting factor to this. We are journalists first and foremost, and if we can report what we see in an entertaining fashion, that is, for sure, part of the gig but that should not um, come at the expense of building your brand as a broadcaster. Um, You've gotta be yourself. Um, If it is your personality, (laughs) you know, hey, it it does work for people. Some people go a long way in this business because of their personality, and I don't begrudge them that, but it's not my way. It's not the way I would coach a a student who asked me for advice. Um, When you uh, embrace this as a craft, um, and you commit yourself to improving constantly. Um, that you soak in, distill what other people have have told you. Uh, then you could decide for yourself what kind of a broadcaster you will be, who you are. Um, you know, you, you, some folks might say it takes 10,000 hours. It, you know, might take seven years. You know, it might take 200 games. I don't know what the numbers are, but uh, at some point you become closer to. Um, a, a comfort level that you know um, more about what you believe in. That is not to say that you don't keep striving to improve. Uh, the day you think you're good and the, you know you can't get any better is the day that you're done. You've got to constantly aspire to improve. That doesn't mean it's going to be a smooth scale. You're not going to make every game better than the last one. But um, you can learn something from the work that you do to make it better. You can learn from the, the people around you. Um, So I think that's on the personal side of it, Jackson. The the other essential part of this is to be kind, to have empathy, to think about the other person. And that might be consider the listener. You know, Marty Glickman's tremendous admonition that we all adhere to when we can consider the listener, that person at the other end of the radio um, to make it, um, you know, an intimate connection. Um, But also not just consider your listener, consider your your engineer, your your color commentator the elevator operator, the coach, the athlete, um, the people that we, we interact with each have their own story. Now that person's story might not make it onto your broadcast, but that doesn't mean you can't give that person your kindness and your respect. So empathy is a big part of this. Um, and the more we can train ourselves to think about other people first, I think that the better we are as people. Um, and so, uh, my Catholic roots show in that (laughs) the proud Jesuits of Fordham. Absolutely. But I think that that is something that we can, we can all strive toward to grow uh, professionally and personally, and uh, then try to, to share that with others.
1: Dan, a real pleasure having you on as always. And thanks so much for being our first guest on Off the Air.
0: Well, well, thank you very much, Jackson and Emmanuel, and and my best wishes to everybody at WFUV and Fordham University. And from Father McShane right on down, uh, it is uh, an an exceptional place and uh, and an extraordinarily meaningful part of my life, and I will uh, always be connected to WFUV and Fordham University.
1: That's Dan Duva, the radio voice of the Vegas Golden Knights, Fordham class of 2009, a WFUV sports alum. You also heard some ties to Syracuse as well. And Dan is really one of the better people to talk to in terms of the foundations of the program, giving back because he does it so well himself, and also just how to be a student of the craft, improve and really immerse yourself in the business. So a lot to take away from that long discussion, Jackson.
2: Emmanuel, I I say this about few people but he's just truly one of those guys who gets it I, I mean you that phrase can be used in so many different ways but I, I think there's truly something about Dan where you can tell he just he understands what this business about and I think the biggest thing that I picked up on when we got to talk to him was that one his biggest piece of advice was be kind and I, I think that's something that it's not only a life lesson but especially in this business. I think that's so important because obviously so many of us look up to so many of these guys and it's tough to find the balance of knowing when where you're being too pushy and when to kind of just take a step back and let it be but um being kind is always something that people will appreciate and regardless if you're being a little over the top or not, as long as you're being kind about it, I think people will learn to appreciate you. And Dan is one of the kindest people in this entire business. And to get that type of advice from him, it may seem really simple and cliche, but it's so important, especially in today's culture where people can just be over the top and overwhelming. So I thought that was really the biggest thing that spoke out to him about me.
1: And even not from the student's perspective, when you get out in the business and everyone's coming up together, who's going to be the nice guy? Who's going to be the one who understands where everybody's coming from? And who are going to be the people who aren't so nice? And those are the ones that leave the the bad lasting impression. So Dan truly gets it in that sense. And also, it's great to hear how relationships for him came full circle. A, A workshop with Doc Emmerich, in Keating Hall at Fordham uh, just a few feet away from WFUV sparked everything and Doc took an interest in Dan really serves as a mentor and then to this day has been a mentor and played a huge role in his ascension from minor league hockey to an NHL job with the Golden Knights so if you're talking about strict career path Dan truly unlocks what FUV can do for a student broadcaster and and what those relationships can truly do.
2: Yeah, the story he talks about of him walking from Keating Hall to the Metro North with Doc. I mean, it also just shows you how much he cares, too. I mean, not everyone has to do that. But I mean, he had mentioned he had a relationship with him in the past. And um, just those type of conversations, those type of moments can just be so key in getting to know someone in my opinion, and I mean, that's just how simple relationships can forge. just putting in the effort to do that and being kind, which is what he said, and there's there's nothing like showing someone like Doc Emmerich that you really care about not only him, but about what this business is all about, and I I think no one epitomizes that more than Dan Duva, especially for these young broadcasters out there that could learn a thing or two, including myself and including a bunch of us at WFUV. He's someone that can obviously be learned from and a guy that I will certainly continue to look for going forward.
1: Outstanding stuff from Dan Duva and great to get this podcast rolling off the air every week. If you want to know who's up next on off the air, be sure to follow us on Twitter at WFUV sports. We'll have all the updates. We'll release all the episodes on our website, WFUV sports.org and wherever you get your podcast. So for Jackson Heil, Emmanuel Barbari, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Off The Air.